evening everyone. Uh, during Lent, here at uh, Windsor, we have been looking at various spiritual disciplines or holy habits of the Christian faith. We've already looked at silence and solitude, at fasting, at Bible reading and meditation. And then last week, Tim, uh, Tim worked very helpfully, turned our attention to the priority of prayer. And this evening on uh, Palm Sunday, we're going to consider the importance, as Roy has already uh, referred to, of confession and the incredible gift of, of forgiveness that comes as a result of confession, of, as, as a result of that process and that practice. And as we step into Holy Week and we begin our journey towards Good Friday and to that horrific and yet ultimate symbol of love and forgiveness, then I want to suggest that this is a very appropriate uh, habit or discipline for us to be, to be looking at this evening. The cross of Christ I know is so precious to so many of us because it screams of forgiveness. And even as, as Jesus hung dying on that structure of execution, he was somehow able to utter those words, Father, forgive. Because Jesus knew that at the heart of his Father was a desire, an eager desire to forgive people. And whenever the sin and the consequences of sin entered into our world, God immediately set in motion the entire redemptive process that culminated in the cross on that first Good Friday and was then confirmed in the resurrection on that first Easter Sunday. And so forgiveness, which is a gift, and it's not really the focus of, our, of what we're going to look at this evening, but it's so involved in, in this theme. But forgiveness is now freely available. And whenever each of us reaches that place in our lives where we embrace forgiveness, then we discover transformation. Our lives are changed dramatically. Whenever we accept that we are sinners and that we do sin, then God invites us to confess to confess our sin and then to receive that gift of forgiveness that God is so eager to provide. Let me show you some great words from Psalm 32. And I would like us to stand together and read these words if that's okay. So let's stand. Psalm 32, the first five verses. Let's read them together. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Please take your seat. Those are just great verses. I'm not going to speak on those as such, but those are just great verses to take away and meditate on 
during this week because I love that idea the word says and I've, I've tried to highlight those on the screen there finally I confessed and as a result of confession our father forgives because he's eager to do so whenever we come to the subject and whenever we begin to talk about sin I, I do realize that the very idea of sin is not popular today And I just thought I would mention something about that very briefly. Because, you see, if sin is a non-issue, then confession is a non-event. We live in a secular society, and a society that has sought to, or certainly is seeking to, remove the whole concept of sin from our thinking and from our language. And as an illustration of that, I remember coming across an article recently that really fascinated me. Quite a provocative article, and I hope it doesn't sort of offend anyone in what I'm about to say. But what this, what this guy was really saying was that it's, it's interesting how certain sins, as, ref, as identified in God's word as sins, are now more commonly referred to as personality disorders. So they're not so much sins in need of forgiveness, but they're disorders in need of treatment. And so, for example, he was saying that, that lust is now labeled as sex addiction. Or anger is now road rage or trolley rage. Uh, And envy, well envy is just an inevitable outcome of living in a consumer society. And the point was this, that sin is a word that is in danger of disappearing from our vocabulary. Because we're uncomfortable with it, our society is uncomfortable with it. And it's in danger of disappearing as a concept that, that we want to address And as Christians, we know that we're not to allow this world to squeeze us into its mold. But I just think it's really important that whenever we we talk of sin, we don't become uncomfortable. Uh, And I know myself personally, sometimes I do find myself becoming uncomfortable about talking about sin. And I wonder why that is. Maybe I am more influenced and more squeezed than I realize. But in response, and as a Christian, I've got to turn to verses like this whenever I hear talk. of of the need to drop this word from us. It says, if we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But for most of us sitting in this church, I realize that, that we accept the presence of sin in our lives and we recognize our need for forgiveness and therefore it's the very next verse that comes after that one that expresses our hope and it expresses our understanding that if we confess our sins to God we recognize we do have a problem we recognize the reality and the presence of sin but if we confess our sins to God then he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong Now before I go on to unpack this holy habit of confession, let me deal with a very important truth just to avoid any confusion. As Christians, I know God has forgiven us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. That's really important to say right at the start of what we're going to look at. The the need for constant confession as a spiritual discipline and as a holy habit is not about becoming a Christian all over again and again and again. Christ's sacrificial death was once for all, as Hebrews 7 makes really clear. But as Christians, we are all honest enough to admit that we still sin. Yes, we have been forgiven once for all, but we still sin. We still make wrong choices, think wrong thoughts, say wrong things, adopt wrong attitudes. And because 
We are in a living relationship with Almighty God. We are aware that sin damages and disrupts that relationship. Sin no longer wrecks that relationship, but it disturbs that relationship. And therefore we need to constantly restore our relationship with God and be honest about the hurt that we cause our Father, who we are now in relationship with through the sins that we still commit on a daily basis. And unless we confess those sins and unless we constantly ask for God's forgiveness, then that relationship will not function, I would want to suggest, in the way it should. I've always found the conversation between Jesus and Peter during the feet washing incident in John 13 really helpful whenever you come to this issue. You'll remember how Jesus was working his way around the disciples. But when he came to Peter, Peter refused or initially refused to have his feet washed by Jesus. And so Peter said to Jesus, or Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you've no part in me. And in response, Peter then says, well, look, Jesus, not just my feet, but please wash my hands and my head as well. Which prompted Jesus to say these important words. A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And the idea was that after bathing in public baths, people would walk back to their houses through dusty streets, wearing sandals. And once they got home, they would have to wash their feet yet again. And then they might head out that evening to visit friends. And again, as they entered another home, they would have to have their feet washed yet again. One bath, but many feet washings. And Jesus was picking up that imagery to help Peter and the rest of the disciples grasp the fact that in Christ they were clean. They didn't need another bath. They didn't need another conversion. But what they did need was constant feet washing in order to remove the dust and dirt of sin from between their toes. And as Christians, yes, we still sin, but we don't need another bath. We don't need reconversion. But what we do need is the renewal of fellowship with God via confession and repentance. So let's be clear, constant confession, daily confession as a spiritual discipline and a holy habit is crucial in order for us to maintain a vibrant connection with God. Sin, as I say, doesn't wreck our relationship, but it damages our friendship. And unless it is confessed, it will create distance and it will even create dysfunction. So what exactly is involved? Well, let's begin with our confession to God. And then after we have attempted to address that, we're going to turn to the rather delicate and difficult and uncomfortable issue of confessing our sins to each other. When it comes to confessing our sin to God, one writer has said that for a good confession, three things are necessary. An examination of our conscience, sorrow, and a determination to avoid sin. I find that quite helpful. For me, there's three very clear steps, and I I need practical suggestions. (laughs) So let me just try to break this down. First of all, we begin with an examination of conscience. We're honestly, and before God, we take a long, hard look at ourselves. And we know that that is such an important thing for us to do. 
and where we allow God to search our hearts, where our souls come under the gaze of a holy God. You know, I am all too aware of the wrong things I say and I do and I think, but I also need God's help to ensure that I don't overlook certain sins, that I don't miss certain sins, that I don't even become blasé about certain sins that I've begun to entertain in my life. And therefore, I do find it helpful to echo those words that we, that we said together during our series on, our, on the conditions of our heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. That was certainly the phrase we looked at time and time again. But the next verse then says, See if there is any offensive way in me, God. As I sit before you and as I examine my conscience, I'm saying, God, search my heart. Reveal to me what lies therein that offends you. I'm forgiven by you, but I know I pick up stuff on my feet day by day, week by week. And I realize that that is a very brave prayer to pray, a bold prayer. But it is the prayer of someone who takes their sin seriously and who takes their faith and their relationship with God seriously. So confession begins with self-examination. Some people refer to this as the prayer of examine. A prayer that encourages us to gain an accurate assessment of our true situation. The prayer of examine gives us an opportunity to review our days. It's where we reach the end of a day and we reevaluate the events of that day. It's where we allow God to pinpoint those moments where, yes, we have been impatient, where we have been unforgiving where we have been reluctant to help, where we have been insensitive, where we have been rude, where we have been angry, where we have been uncaring and dismissive of others. But sometimes it's only as we sit in that place and we say, God, search my heart. Allow myself open before you. Please put your finger on those things in my life today that I know hurt you, that offended you, that caused me to pick up some more dirt. And that first step in confession enables us to be definite about our sin. Do you know, we can be, and I know I I often am quite general in confession. Father, forgive me for what I have done wrong today. And I'm not dismissing that approach, but I think at times we need to be specific. We need to be concrete. We need to identify those particular sins that we've committed. And that we commit. Apparently, Luther used the Ten Commandments as the basis for his self examination in order to ensure that he was explicit in identifying and exposing sin in his life. So he went down through the Ten Commandments and said, God, have I worshipped anything else today? Have I set up any other idols in my life today? Have I lied to anyone today? And he went down those. And that was his way of processing that. And in a few moments we are going to take communion. And as we approach this table and as we approach this event, we are urged to examine ourselves. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, Let us examine ourselves before we eat and we drink. So this is something we do on a weekly basis, but I think it's also something that's really important to do almost on a daily basis. But that examination then does or should lead to sorrow. A deep regret. A deep regret at having offended God. Having offended a holy God, the heart of our Father. Do you know, sin obviously damages and hurts other people. 
whenever we are unforgiving and insensitive and angry, etc., people do suffer. People around us suffer. People often closest to us suffer. People's lives and feelings are often left in the wake of our poor choices and our destructive words and our wrong actions and reactions. And we need to seek, yes, their forgiveness, but that's not so much what this is about. Because at a deeper level, every time we sin against another human being, ultimately it's God who's offended. It's God who is wrong. And Psalm 51 makes that so clear for us. David had obviously done some horrendous things. And he had done those horrendous things to other people. Yes, he had committed adultery. He had wrecked families. He had condoned murder. He had even sanctioned murder. But whenever he confesses his sin, how does he express that? He says, against you, God, and you only have I sinned. And I've done what is evil in your sight. He had sinned against a woman, he had sinned against a man, he had sinned against a nation, but he clearly understood that his primary offence was against God. And that was what broke his heart. And that was what led him to pray that classic prayer of confession that we find in Psalm 51. Our sin needs to disturb us to that level. It needs to unsettle us. It needs to drive us to our knees in sorrow and in repentance and sorrow is an act of the will as well as an emotion I hurt God here I'm sorry God for what I've done this day I know it breaks your heart and I want it to break my heart and so I come before you having examined my conscience I come before you in sorrow and then finally there needs to be a determination to avoid sin in other words there needs to be a commitment or a recommitment to holy living Because, as someone has said, confession is a means for pursuing purity. I I love this, this John Wesley quote. Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. I think that's what it is. It's a determination. I'm going to live a holy life. I'm going to realign myself. I'm going to realign my commitment to God. I'm going to realign my commitment to God's ways. I'm going to avoid sin. It's not where we get into this habit where we, we commit a sin and then we confess and then we think, well, I've confessed so it's okay and I've committed again and I'll be okay, I'll just confess it. But it's where we determine to say, no, I'm going to choose God's ways from here on in. It doesn't mean we always get it right, but we choose God's Ways And daily confession gives us a great context for renewing and refreshing our resolve to avoid sin and to live for God. So there are three vital elements when it comes to confession before God. But now let me turn to this other aspect of confession that is actually, I want to suggest, much harder for us to practice. Maybe even much harder for us to accept as as important. And that is the need to confess our sins to one another. And James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. So that you may be healed. But let let me ask you. How do you feel about that instruction? How do you feel about the prospect of confessing your sins to the person beside you. Relieved? Embarrassed? Thankful? Uncomfortable? Not sure what to think? Bonhoeffer said this, As long as I am by myself in the confession of my sins, everything remains in the dark. But in the presence of a brother, the sin has to be brought into the light. 
What is your reaction to that? Or another question to get us thinking, what would you say and how would you react if a Christian friend asked you if he or she could confess a sin to you? How would you react? How would you prepare yourself for what they were going to say? And I know that our minds tend to fire off in all sorts of different directions with this concept. Whenever we, certainly as evangelical Christians particularly, begin to think of this idea of confessing sin to one another, I think it's fair to say that thoughts of confessional booths and mediators other than Jesus Christ begin to cloud our thinking. But let's be clear. 1 Timothy chapter 2 expresses there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Christ Jesus. And a mediator is one who intervenes between two parties in order to restore peace and friendship. And because we do sin, and as Christians we recognize we do sin, there has been a breakdown. There is a breakdown in relationship between us and Father God. But Jesus acts as the only one mediator in order to bring about reconciliation and the restoration of relations. Now, only Jesus can do that. Let's be absolutely clear on that. But having established and reaffirmed that truth that is so important to us as evangelical Christians, let's also then not avoid the clear biblical teaching that we need to confess our sins to one another. Make sure that our reaction to a particular practice within a different tradition doesn't lead us to throw the baby out with the bathwater. And sometimes I sense we can be very passionate about what is wrong in others' approach to certain issues and yet maybe fail to confront which is what is possibly a glaring error regarding confession in our own practice and thinking. Because I am not sure I really embrace this one. I'm not sure I have seen this really worked out. And I know there needs to be wisdom as we approach this subject. And this is not about sharing everything with everyone. It really is not. But we do need to wrestle with this teaching. And one of the reasons that I think this is so important is because this actually fosters community. This emphasizes the importance that we're not all lone ranger Christians. That no man is an island. That we're in this together. And together we are stronger. And it reminds us that we need each other. I need you. You need me. You need one another to support each other. To pray for each other. To encourage each other. And even to admonish each other along on this journey together. And maybe it is true that there is something about admitting our sin to another human being. That makes it more likely we will change. I understand that step five of AA says something like this. Admit to God. Admit to ourselves. And admit to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. So I think that's great advice. And not just for alcoholics. Do you know I think we are comfortable with admitting the idea we're sinners. That's no problem. And so we could stand up front and say, I am a sinner. We could sit in the context of a small group and say, I am a sinner. But how would we feel about confessing particular sins? I think then we become quite reluctant and nervous. 
Because that's a different issue. Years ago, back to Wesley, years ago he set up small groups known as bands. And one of the main functions of these small groups was to meet together every week in order to confess their sins to one another. He picked up this teaching in James and he really worked it out and lived it out. And every week, as those groups met, each person was asked these four questions. What known sins have you committed since our last meeting? What temptations have you met with? How were you delivered? What have you thought, said or done of which you doubt whether it be sin or not? And I was just thinking, imagine if those were the four questions that every fellowship group was going to ask all those who turned up this week. I reckon it might be the lowest turnout ever in fellowship groups. But is that not one of the main purposes of fellowship groups, of small groups, to become safe places where we can talk about our struggles? Where we can take the masks off? Where we can be real with each other? Or is church and our small groups within church one of the last places where we would be willing to show our real selves? And what does that say? And what does that convey? What does that reveal? You know, one of the challenges that we constantly face in church life is in developing and encouraging genuine fellowship. There needs to be some context within church life where relationships go beyond the shallow and superficial. And Dallas Willard believes that confession can help that process. Confession alone makes deep fellowship possible. As we confess our sins to one another, as we confess the struggles that we face, the temptations we face, how we have failed, then it deepens fellowship. And a lack of it explains, he says, much of the superficial quality found in our church associations. So there's no doubt that confessing sin to one another requires vulnerability, honesty, transparency, but it also involves risk and trust. And therefore, I do think we need to develop and nurture the kind of relationships where we can take this biblical imperative to confess our sin to one another and actually do it. And as I've already said, this is not about telling everybody everything. That would be unhelpful. That would be unnecessary at so many levels. But we do need to find, surely we do need to find some people, some people who we trust, Some people who we're willing to take a risk with. Some people who we're willing to be honest before. Who we are willing to confess our sins to. But why? Why why might this or could this be important? Well, a couple of reasons. One, it encourages accountability. And I know in some ways that's that's an in thing. But by confessing our sin to one another we can build a level of accountability into our lives that can be very protective and can be empowering. The number of particularly Christian leaders who you discover have fallen and then also discover that there was no accountability in their lives is startling. And I know a number of years ago, and I have shared a little of this before, I know a number of years ago somebody did challenge me on this. 
and, and therefore I do meet with someone, I personally meet with someone once a month, a really good friend, Christian friend, and we have given each other permission to ask one another tough questions and to be able to confess our sins to one another. And I find that accountability protective, but I also find it empowering. And secondly, I sometimes find that people struggle with receiving God's forgiveness. They have prayed, they have confessed, and even in light of 1 John 1 verse 9, they find it difficult, still difficult to know and embrace God's forgiveness if it's only a private thing between them and God. But whenever you also confess your sin to another person, and whenever you hear another human being saying, in Jesus Christ you are forgiven, that can be liberating. Whenever having confessed your sin to God, which is where you must go primarily, but then in confessing your sin to another person and hearing them say, listen David, in Jesus Christ you are forgiven. That sometimes can be just what is necessary. For some people who just struggle even when it's between them and God and have confessed it, and yet the number of people I meet who say, I don't feel forgiven. I don't know I'm forgiven. I'm wrestling with this. And sometimes I think in confessing it to one another, we can help each other embrace God's forgiveness. I need to finish. There is no stronger sin than sin that remains hidden. But whenever we practice the spiritual discipline, the holy habit of confession, our sin is no longer hidden. It's brought out into the open. It's into the light. And primarily, that openness must be before God. Our greatest need is to confess our sin to God because it is God who forgives. But in addition, that openness can and should be encouraged with and before some others. Because confession, as they say, is good for the soul.